Oh, hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Welcome to the Don't Go Outside podcast, the last of 2020, potentially the first of 2021, depending on when this gets released. Uh, I am your vampiric host, Patch, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Robin, the cryogenic engineer extraordinaire. Hello. Who have you been defrosting this week, Robin? Uh, well, I uh, got into the lab nice and early, and um, what we've actually been doing is, it's less of a straight defrost, but it actually turns out that a lot of Genghis Khan's sperm was uh, stuck in some permafrost, Ooh. and um, that's come out recently, and there seems to be an enormous demand for Genghis Khan's sperm. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is being used by perhaps some evil overlords to create some kind of race of super mongol urukai uh, i'm mm-hmm. not sure if it's a sort of like celebrity baby kind of thing but um that's what we've been doing today so we've been thawing it out checking its viability viling it up and then sending it out all over the world in our new wow. service uh, sperm to you uh, which to you it's, I mean, the thing is, it's it's tough in the post-apocalypse running a cryogenics lab, you know. There's only so many bodies you can come out, and then quite a lot of them have had their assets dissolved during the time they've been in cryonic freezing. Mm-hmm. So we can't really recuperate any cost. You know, you know, it's tough times for everyone in business these days. So yeah, well, it's good that you're branching out into something new. Just give me one second, Rob. Uh, your boy's going to take his inhaler. Oh, oh my god. Um, I may be a vampire, but that doesn't mean I can't still have asthma. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's, I'm like immortal, but I still need to take my inhaler. It's a very annoying conundrum to be in. Um, <laughs> I just love this idea of <laughs> some, some vampire... Uh, oh, he's like uh, he, he's creeping. He's silent. He's about to get his um, get his prey, and then uh, yeah, he just starts having an asthma attack. Just a big, just a here. big wheeze gives him yeah. away. That will suck your blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so that's that. Um, yeah, it's something I'm dealing with. It's it's annoying because like when you get you kind of have all the health conditions you had. Before you were made vampire, it's like Deadpool still has cancer, uh, but he's just constantly regenerating. Same with Wolverine. You know, his back was messed up before uh, before he got his. It's an interesting Wolverine fact I read this I love week. It. Is, is why is Wolverine so short? Is because he fucked up his back before going before his skin before his skeleton got adamantium put all over it. So before his skeleton could heal, before his spine could heal, it was bonded in adamantium, so it can't fully grow back. And he's just got constant, awful back pain, which is why he's such a grump, apparently. Really? Yeah, he's so gr- <laughs> well, Yeah, he's, apparently he's so grouchy because his back is just constantly fucking in pain, and it can't heal properly. So, uh, you know, we've all been there. I mean... That sucks, man. Yeah. Poor Wolverine. I know. So yeah, much like Wolverine, I got made vampire, <coughs> you you know, as a person already with asthma. So um, I kind of still have to deal with that. Um, mm. 
It's that's that's tough, man. I'm allergic to dust mites and garlic now. It fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's uh, move on to the episode for reals. Um, do you, uh, Robin? Do you have any follow up from last week, from last um, episode? I actually don't. I am I am void of follow up um, for maybe the first episode ever. Wow, I have a bit of follow up. I am. Um, Inspired by our uh, by our trip to Pixar World to watch Onward, uh, mm-hmm. I dipped my toe back in the Pixar library and I watched Coco for the first time. Oh, and uh, it's it's not a great film. It looks fantastic, but it uses one of the tropes that I hate most. Uh, it's not a trope I hate most, but it's a trope used in a way that I hate most. So it's a ticking clock. Without giving too much of the plot away, it's a ticking clock plot where, you know, uh, the boy... Co- uh, the boy's not called Coco, so I keep calling him Coco. Uh, <laughs> the f- name of the film is Coco. But the boy gets sent to the afterlife by accident. He has until sunrise to to, you know, come back to the land of the living. So, you know, he's on a tight schedule. And it's one of those films, a lot of animated films are doing this now, where the ticking clock will be dragged out to the very, very last minute. You know, like, he's got the MacGuffin, and he's about to use it, and he's like, goodbye everyone, this has been great, I can't wait to be back in the land of the living. He gives, like, a big speech, and then the bad guy comes and knocks the MacGuffin out of his hand, and it falls down a big building. He's like, oh no, the very last minute! And it just keeps dragging out you know this ticking clock trope for like to the very last second possible uh and i was sitting and i hate when they do that in film because i'm like it just i can't stand it it's like come on stop being an idiot you're on you, you've got you're on a timer here you're on a ticking clock stop giving big speeches you'll be able to see everyone again it's fine just go 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 um and then he finally gets home and like the the kind of crescendo of the film as it were, is a very heartfelt, touching moment between the boy and his grandmother, which uh, made me cry like a little baby boy. And wow. It was, and I was like, this film cannot... It's not fair that this film's done this. Made me feel really annoyed for the past half hour. And now I'm... Yeah, a bawling. <laughs> you know? It's actually managed to, you know, wrench some human emotion out of me uh, <laughs> after being severely annoyed at it for the past half hour. Uh, so yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, the film looks pretty. It's all inspired by uh, you know um, Latin American, well Mexican specifically Mexican culture, uh, Day of the Dead stuff, and it all it's all really colorful and bright, and all the kind of skeleton characters look really interesting and creative. Um, but yeah, the story was a bit annoying. It's like, come on, you're on a timer, come on. And then I was like, oh, why? It's not fun. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if I'd recommend Coco, but uh, yeah, it's the, the music in it's good at least. <laughs> Have you ever had that? Do you know what? Do you know what I mean with those kind no, of? No, I know, I know exactly what you mean, and I will actually say, I mean, Onward used used this trope exactly. Um, it did actually, yeah. But I feel that Onward actually executed it quite well. There wasn't. I can remember there being a couple of points I did have that feeling where it's like, guys, guys, stop fucking around! Like, mm-hmm. you've got, you gotta, you gotta go do the thing. Um, 
But I know exactly that that frustration when you know as the viewer that you know you're on a tight schedule. You would think mm-hmm. the characters that you're watching would know, but they seem to be acting in a way that's completely converse to their own success. Um, so I, I totally understand that that frustration. Yeah, like I give a film like two of those delays, but like onward, uh, Coco was like, "There's a delay." And then, okay, we almost made it. Oh no, there's another one. Oh no, and there's something else that's happened. Oh, we got it. Just it kind of kept going is what kind of annoyed me. Um, yeah, but no, I just wanted to say I watched Coco as a little follow up to Onward. I, I went back to the Pixar catalog and I, I fairly hmm. enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. I remember the advertising push for Coco, and I remember because I, I really like that aesthetic. Yeah, um, that that whole. Uh, Day of the Dead, Mexican, colourful, sugar skull aesthetic. Mm. And it's something I know very little about, but I do find it just very nice to look at. Yeah. So well, I think I would have really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, you'll learn a little bit about uh, about the culture if you watch it, because it does, it, goes, it does a very good uh, uh, job of being like, here's why... Uh, here's why Day of the Dead is celebrated, and here's kind of how it is celebrated as well. You know, you've got... You you build the ofrenda, which is basically a big shrine to your your dead loved ones, and uh, you leave them out food and and drink as offerings on the day of the dead, and everyone gathers around and they, they remember the good times about their about their about their dead loved ones. And I was watching it, and I was like, this is something just like everyone should do, not just not just Mexico. It's a fun, it's a cool, it's a cool tradition, and I think it, you know, I think if you're raised in that environment, I think maybe you're. You know, you, you might not be as uncomfortable with the concept of of death as a lot of, you know, I'd say probably a lot of uh, Brit- British society is. You know, it's kind of more of a celebration of life than a kind of more mourning of the of the past on. You know, yeah. Uh, not to get too deep and serious. About that got it, that got real deep real fast. Yeah, I have to say. But you know, but I just, I just think it's a really good, it's a cool. I just basically was like, it's a cool tradition, you know. It's like, a, it's a. I think it's something that a lot of more, a lot of cultures could benefit from is looking at uh, at death in that way. Um, but yeah, no, I get a bit dark and broody when it comes to death because you know I'm a vampire, so that, that's my, true. Kind of my thing. It's a, it's, you know, it's kind of <laughs> your thing. Do you get Mexican vampires? Is that a thing? Yeah, I'm man, sure they're do. fucking crazy. <laughs> they are as as the as the as as the as as the Latinos might say they are local. Uh, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no Mexican vampires are nuts. Uh, yeah, you think I, I'm, I'm more of a kind of broody, moody, uh, emo type of vampire, but they're they're just like. Uh, have you never seen um fucking from dusk till dawn? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna okay, go. That's... I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna go to the Titty Twister bar after this to kind of, you know, just uh, <laughs> let let my hair down. From dusk till dawn is insane. That's just yeah, a crazy I'm, film. No, no, I've not seen that for a long time. That could be a wee follow up for next week. Anyway, yes. Uh, have you? What have you been up to uh, since we last uh, spoke? Have you seen or watched or heard anything that's piqued your interest? You might want to talk about on a podcast about uh, films and. Games. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for that seamless lead. Um, yeah, you know what? I've I've engaged in a couple of things. Um, 
one, which was just just charming, just lovely. Because, you know, I, I really have a push towards the whimsical these days. Mm. I think we need more of it in our life. Oh, yes. I watched Amelie. Um, oh, okay. You know, the uh, classic Jean-Pierre Jeunet, like 19... What was it? Early 2000s? Late 1900s? Yeah, it was like... It must have been like 2001, 2003-ish. I mean, that's, Some, that's probably when I first saw it, but, like, you know... Actually, no, that can't then. be right. <laughs> I probably saw it much later than that, but yeah. it was it was quite a while ago. But mm. I watched that recently because it popped into my head, and um, I was just like, "Oh wow, what a nice world! What a nice world that's been crafted here." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's definitely carrying some Wes Anderson vibes for sure. Yeah. Um, which I didn't realize when I first watched it because I hadn't watched any Wes Anderson at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on watching it again after watching Wes Anderson's back catalogue, it was quite it was quite strange to see how many similarities there were. Yeah, um, I think that I like, filmmaker, the the guy who made Amelie, he's made like some films that are quite similar in tone. So I think he does have a very similar style to to Anderson. It's just, I think the thing they both do right, and I, maybe it's more prominent in Amelie, is the fact that. All of the characters in it seem like completely fully realized people. Yeah. You wouldn't be surprised at any point if the director had just chosen to take us to, you know, whatever X character was doing, regardless of how sh- how short a period of time they'd been in it. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling that he has written an entire backstory. He knows where they live. He knows what they eat. He knows who their mum and dad were, you know. Um for every character and it just gives that feeling of like grounded reality and you can build this whimsical sort of journey on top yeah that's good I've yeah I can't like I think I watched it years and years ago and and a lot of it has stuck with me Mm. you know I think I was a teenager when I saw it but yeah I remember it being you, you know I hardly remember what the film's about but it definitely had an impact on me because there's little bits I remember, uh, like him. Is that like not like like her granddad always like saves like the, the that particular part of the chicken because he thinks it's like the best bit. I always I always think of that when uh, <laughs> when they have uh, when I when I have a roast chicken. A roast, yeah, the oysters, man. Oysters. That's what they're called. Um... Oh yeah, the little the little black livery bit. No, I mean, it's not um, liver, it... but it's. Uh... It's on the underside, and it's uh, where the wing articulation meets the breast, and it's this mm. little muscle underneath, and they're called the oysters, and they are uh, commonly regarded as the best part of the roast chicken. Sounds delicious. I wish I could eat regular food and wasn't restricted to a blood-only diet. But then I miss chicken ever so much. After I watched Ali. I was like, oh, right, okay, back on this sort of, like, nice whimsical push. This is great. So I watched the Grand Budapest Hotel. And, oh, yeah? Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, wow, just Grand Budapest Hotel, it's... I think, beyond the whole whimsy thing, I think what Wes Anderson has in spades is momentum. Um, sure. Like, his films could be six hours long, and you wouldn't notice. Because mm. they're just built with this sort of momentum that drags you along through the whole thing um i i I think that's probably because of the use of like quite fast dialogue and Uh it's that it's really that purple prose where to be honest anything that any character in a wes anderson film says 
you could probably say it about four times shorter, but it's not yeah. written like that. It's written in this like very entertaining, whimsical way. And then the use of sort of like cuts just keeps you engaged. So in Grand Budapest Hotel, I think the I think he uses something like four or five different aspect ratios. Um, okay. Yeah, so it changes from like one by one to three by two to just it'll jump about in in aspect ratio, and that just makes the film really dynamic. Mm. Um, because every scene is going to be a slightly different aspect ratio, and you don't really notice it unless you're looking for it. But I feel that adds to this this just momentum that's pulling you through. Um, yeah, it was I was very. It's probably the third time I've watched Grand Budapest Hotel, and I was thoroughly entertained. Uh, yeah, again, I've I've yet to watch it. I've I've been re- meaning to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Wes Anderson's one of those filmmakers that. I don't think I've really seen many of his films. I know I've definitely seen Isle of Dogs. Because I went to see that in the cinema and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he's one of those filmmakers who has like a, like a ton of films that maybe I've seen. And it's like, I want to I wanna watch them all eventually. But there's just other stuff, <laughs> you know? Other stuff keeping me busy. It. Just, yeah. uh, like, even if you just jump into one... You'll you'll kind of get the you'll get the Wes Anderson bug, and you'll want to just watch yeah. them all. Well, I kind of got that from Isle of Dogs, and what you said about momentum is is you know completely uh, valid for for that film as well, because it just kind of like you said that there's definitely like a purpose to the plot. It's like okay, we have to do this. Let's just go and do it, and uh, some some wacky stuff happens along the way but like it's it's, it's still very it's still a very focused storyline and like you said it could be as long as it needs to be and it doesn't feel like a drag you know yeah um oh, i saw fantastic mr Flox actually that when that came out as well that was a wee while ago now but, that, was, that was a while I ago yeah i guess i've only seen his animated movies <laughs> <laughs> all about the animation the day um yeah uh, like what you said about dialogue being overly complicated, I think with Wes Anderson it definitely works, but it made me think of um, Guy Ritchie because I watched uh, The Gentleman uh, not so long ago, right. uh, which is his latest, which is Guy Ritchie's latest uh, outing into like the world of like Cockney gangsters and um, much like Guy Ritchie himself, the gangsters in question have gotten uh, a lot more rich and a lot more high class um, and not quite as good as they used to be uh, in the past, <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> um, for my D and D campaign, um, I've been watching a lot of uh, old Guy Ritchie stuff because uh, my main villain, I want to be like he's a he's a wizard, but I want him to be almost like. Um, do you, uh, do you, are you are you familiar with the character Bricktop from Snatch? Yes, I know yeah, Bricktop. I basically want my villain, my wizard, to uh, like evil wizard, to be Bricktop, That's but just amazing. be able to do spells. So I've been watching a lot of old, uh, old Guy Ritchie films, watching Lockstock, and been watching Snatch, basically on repeat, <laughs> just to kind of get in that mindset. <laughs> um, and they're, they're both generally good films as well. So like, it's it's, it's no no bother to me, mate. I love it. Um, but yeah, so we watched The Gentleman, and it's like, it's good. But Guy Ritchie's dialogue has gotten very clumsy over the years, where like mm. his characters are overly eloquent to the point that it's just kind of annoying. Where they will say like a thousand words, where they only need to say like four, and it's like, 
come on. I mean, like, all, all the actors in that film are very, very, very good. It's just the dialogue is just annoying, you know? Hmm. Um, if you watch it yourself, like, you'll see what I mean. I don't really have any examples of the script lying around, but it's just, it's yeah, it's... It's a pain in the ass uh, to to sit through. Um, my fiance gave up halfway through. She was like, "I can't watch any more of this. I don't I have no idea what's going on." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, it's difficult <laughs> to follow because they're not really speaking clearly. They're speaking in like almost it's almost just Guy Ritchie trying to be smarter than he is, which is not to say that Guy Ritchie is not smart. It's just I think he's trying too hard in this case. Whereas if you go back to his early movies, like he didn't." Like, the dialogue wasn't that flowery at all. It was just clever, you know? Yeah, it was... I think flowery is a good word because it certainly used to be... It was witty, and then it became flowery. And I think this happened around Rock and Roller. Mm. um, Because that was... I remember watching that film and being like, there's something that's been lost here, you know? That it isn't that sort of sharp wit. It has become more more flowery and more purple rather than rather than just that that quick sharp hilarious cockney wit Mm. yeah but um i so i was a bit disappointed by that which is a shame um Hmm. yeah anyways i'm gonna scooch on uh, to the next topic we are uh, like my very much like uh the film coco on a bit of a ticking clock today um (laughs) so i would like to talk to you about the hit new video game uh, Crusader Kings 3 (laughs) that came out back in March and I picked up uh, in the Christmas Steam sale and it is very very good uh, and I enjoyed it a lot um yeah, That's, this uh, is this is just brilliant. This is so typical for the Don't Go Outside podcast. You, um, I mean, Cyberpunk just got released, and you know what we're leading with? Crusader Kings Three. That's that's the kind of guys we are. Well, I want to talk to you about Crusader Kings Three. No, man, I, I love it. I love it, and that's what our listeners love. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to Cyberpunk. Had a lot of fire in their ass. <laughs> I to get back to work. <laughs> Fucking get broom in here. I am Mikey, the Wasteland Mechanic. You know, I got a, I got a lot of fixing to do. I go around. I, uh, I don't raid. I just drive around. I drive, a, I drive a pickup truck around the wasteland. I pick up bits of dirt. I see a broken car. There's a lot of broken cars. I fix them. Sometimes they don't always work. Some have spikes on them. Hey, Mikey! Hey, Mikey! This guy's just—he's brought his car to the shop. He wants—he wants some chains on the on the tires again. Okay, you gotta go out. You gotta find some chains. Here's what you gotta do. You gotta go find the nearest crane. And you gotta dismantle it. You gotta get some chains. You bring those chains to me. I'll put them on. What? Just a question, sir. Why'd you want chains on your car? Well, essentially, what what I like to do is I like to find groups of children. And then, when I've got chains on my tyres, I like to r- drive straight over them, and mince them right up, and then I, I drink the sort of muddy, bloody mulch with a straw. You're another one of those goddamn cannibals! <laughs> uh, Sorry, you see the sign? No, no cannibal service here! Uh, we don't serve no man meat, we don't serve no man meat eaters! <laughs> Only the pure-blooded, rat-eating types Survivors, we we kill our we kill our meat legitimately. Rats, stray dogs, maybe sometimes a kitten got in here once. I fell in love with it a little bit, but I got hungry. I had to eat it. Hey, Mike, Mike, you want me to put this uh, cannibal freak show out of here? Yeah, you show him the door. You show him the door, Johnny. You get him. You get him the hell out of here. We don't want no cannibals here. 
No cannibals. You hear? You hear, Mikey? It's it's his shop. No cannibals in here. You take your you take your freaking chain kill child killing car and get out of here. So come down uh, to Mikey the Mechanics Wasteland Auto Repair Shop today. We'll fit you with anything you want in your car. Disclaimer: No cannibals. No dogs. Cause I like saying dogs. <laughs> no goddamn dirty mutants. <laughs> I don't want those mutants in here stinking up my goddamn garage. Mike, Mikey, I don't think we can say that about mutants anymore. Why is that? I think it's racist. Racist, those mutants ain't a race. That's why they call mutants. Damn, one time a mutant came here. I'll tell you what he did. I'll tell you what I told. Hey, don't cut me off. Let's talk about Crusader Kings 3 for a bit, Robin. Yeah. Cyberpunk can wait, much like we have waited for it for eight years. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, we'll get our Cyberpunk podcast out in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it won't be fully finished. Um, oh, God. <laughs> anyway, Crusader Kings 3, speaking of games that are finished, Crusader Kings 3 is uh, very, very polished and good and fun and super complicated. And it's a game that I spent many, many late nights on a couple months ago. Not, not a couple weeks ago, excuse me. And I love it. Uh, it's basically a game about uh, building a dynasty to last generations through medieval uh, Europe. Um, and I tried to play Crusader Kings uh, 2 but it just didn't make any sense because it's very difficult to know what's going on whereas in in CK3 they've made a very conscious effort to say step by step okay here's what's happening you you, you gotta get married you gotta have kids you gotta at least have a son so so your dynasty can carry on throughout the ages um and other than that, you kind of have to build an army to keep your kingdom safe, to expand your empire if you want to. Uh, here is a little tutorial kingdom. It's in Southern Ireland. You can be the petty king of this part of Ireland. And if you want, you can take over the whole island of Ireland itself and be king and be the first Irish king in history. So I did that. That was a good fun tutorial. Kind of teaches you how to play the game. Um, and you can kind of play it through to the end. Um, I just wanted to tell you the, the story of my dynasty because it's, it's it's so crazy. I think the big thing about Crusader Kings is the stories that people get out of it, rather than the gameplay. Right. <clears throat> because each game is so each playthrough of it is so different. So like, my um, what's the sorry? Um, just to just to cut you off before you get uh-huh. get delved into the deep lore of uh, Patches Vampire Dynasty throughout uh, <laughs> medieval Europe. Um. What's the actual meat and potatoes? What's the gameplay loop of it? This the gameplay loop is exactly what I said. Uh, you are a king. You need a wife. Find a wife. Make an alliance with with the princess's father uh, or brother. Uh, it's basically like it's just medieval politics, essentially. Uh, building your kingdom and empire through uh, either marriage, manipulation, murder schemes. Uh, you can. The, apparently the most powerful way to keep your bloodline strong is just by marrying within the family so if you end up with a dynasty where like your brother uh, you know, is the king of a different county just marry off your son to his cousin it's fine, just keep it all in the family and it's like okay, apparently that's the most powerful way to continue which you know is kind of true to real life back in the day I suppose um, and like the stories um, that kind of come out of that are, 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 are really interesting 
I'm kind of more meaning like, does it run like an RTS? Is it like a dating sim? Is it like, you know, what's... what's oh, it's a bit like a real-time actually... strategy game. Right. Uh, okay. Where you have a big map of, of Europe. <clears throat> um, and it's a bit like a kind of dating sim-ish where I mean it's not all about romance and stuff you'll it'll just come up with little scenarios like oh you were you were on a hunt and you come across a big deer do you want to chase it and depending on what you do and how you know capable your your character is you can hunt down the deer you might get wounded during the course of the hunt um or you will come home with a magnificent trophy of a white of a white buck you know uh, that kind of thing so it, it's cool it's, it's a good balance of Real-time strategy and um, almost like role-playing, like an RPG. Uh-huh. Because you, 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 you kind of have to build your king's statistics to be whether he's more of like a, you know, a powerful warrior or whether he's like a manipulator or whether he's good with money or whether he's a very good diplomat. You know, you kind of have to find that balance to see kind of which sort of ruling works for you. Okay, so there's a sort of civilization elements in there as well with different victory states. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm asking kinda. so many questions because I've literally, I've only heard the name Crusader Kings. I've not even seen a screenshot of it. Oh, it's wonderful. It's very good. It's one of those games I was maybe going to stream on Twitch, but it's like if you don't know how the game works, it's very easy to get lost on like, okay, what is happening now? Um, so unless you've like played the game for a little bit, uh, then it's you know very hard to pick up on how it actually works, which is why it's kind of taken me so long to kind of explain how it works. Um, so yes, so yeah, like civilization, uh, there's different victory states, and there's not really like, as far as I can tell, the game ends just when you kind of decide it's over, because you can keep the game going for as long as you want. Uh, in one of my playthroughs, like my dynasty came to an end. Because I didn't have a rightful heir, but I could keep playing the game as uh, the queen's son, who was basically the rightful heir of another dynasty. So you you would just skip over to another kingdom and keep playing from there. Um, oh, wow! So it's kind of like a game over state, but it's like, well, your family's kind of continuing. It, it, you just won't be, you know, this amazing dynasty that you once were. That's all burned to the ground now. Um, but yeah, so it's it's really interesting. Um, like I said, it's it, it's Kind of, it's one of those games that's difficult to put down because there's no like, there's no ending to it. You know, I think the game there is a there is a year that the game will end. You know, I think it's like thirteen, like the thirteen hundred or something. But you can start off in like, you know, nine, I think you start off in nine fifty A.D. Oh my word! <laughs> you can just keep it going for hundreds of years. Um, so yeah, it's really good fun, man. I had a really good time. Uh, like I said in the tutorial. Uh, campaign where you play as like the petty king Murshad MacBreen uh, of of Ireland and uh, of of a part of Ireland even of Cork I think it was um, and eventually you know you make alliances with the other petty kings of Ireland and you gain enough power and uh, and duchies to be the to be the overall like overall king of Ireland so you could be like the Ireland's first king. Um, so I did that, and that was really good fun. I was oh, cool, I'm the King of Ireland. Great. I'm just going to see if I can expand onto the Isle of Man. Got my ass kicked by the King of the Isle of Man, which is embarrassing. Um, 
and then the Pope is like, "Oh, listen, we're going on a crusade uh, to to the to Jerusalem. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kick out the, you know, we're gonna kick out Islam from from Jerusalem." And I was like, "I'll come, King. It'll boost my it'll boost my uh, reputation." So you put in your stakes. I wasn't quite sure how this mechanic works. So you so you can go on a crusade against another religion, and the Pope was like, "Let's let's go take over Jerusalem." So you put in like, you know, if we win the crusade. What do you want out of out of you know the Middle East? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'll give my I'll give my my fourth daughter, who's not in line to inherit anything. I'll just give her a bit of land in the Holy Land, just you know, as a little gift to be like, you know, you're not in, you're not in line to inherit anything. Just have just have a you know have acre or something. Uh, so we go on a crusade to the Middle East for like uh, for like three years, um, and I think my army was the only one to actually hit Jerusalem, and like we were. Where Jerusalem was under siege by the King of Ireland for like, you know, five years, and we won the Crusades that way by taking over Jerusalem. So the Pope was like, "Guess what? Your daughter is now the Queen of Jerusalem, and therefore the whole Holy Land." And I was like, "What the? What?" <laughs> so this like this Irish princess who wasn't in line to inherit anything is now like Queen of the Holy Land. She's like more powerful and influential than her father, the King of Ireland. So the game was like, well, I mean, if you want, you can play as her. I was like, yeah, that sounds fucking cool. So, um, so essentially, it looks like all the other AI kings had done the same thing, just given a piece of land in the Holy Land to to their like third and line daughters. So, um, Jerusalem and all the kingdoms around it were just ruled by all these like different princesses and queens uh, who were all just like <laughs> plotting against each other trying to take over the Holy Land. Um, and so it was really it's just a really interesting course of events that led uh you know the the first queen of Jerusalem to become an overweight uh you know become obese she got addicted to hashish cakes uh and she oh was a le- and she's a lesbian as well so she can't really have any kids because there's like sexual orientations in the in the characters that you can't really control like the kids just born and you know, sometimes you know, most of the time your kid is heterosexual. But if your kid if your kid comes, you know, if your kid decides that that they're gay, then you can have kids, but they're less likely to to have kids because you know they're not they're just they're going to go off and have you know illicit affairs with people of the same sex while being in a politically arranged marriage with uh, the prince of another kingdom. So like she was estranged from her husband who lived over in Denmark. And just kind of, you know, sat in this, sat on her throne in Jerusalem, just eating hash cakes, and uh, eventually just abdicated. Like there came a point where she was just super stressed out. That too many people were declaring war on her, and she had a rightful heir who was her firstborn son. Um, and the game gave me the choice to abdicate. It's like, listen, it's, this is too stressful. Do you want to just abdicate, give the give the throne to your son? And I was like, yeah, sure. So she goes off to retire to Cyprus, <laughs> and her son takes over, and that was the end of that line, because her son was like te- technically part of another dynasty, and I was like, I think I'll just end the game there. That was a fantastic story, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love this just this mad queen just smashing in the hash cakes. That's so good. I know. Oh, it's, it was very. It was just. Oh, it was incredible. I was after I'd finished that. I was like, this game. This this might be the perfect game for me, just being a king or queen, um, and just uh, yeah, just I I just really like the stories that come out of it, you know. 
It's reminding me a lot of a 2016 game, phone game called Reigns. Uh-huh, Reigns. Yeah, we, we have both played it and spoken about it on this podcast in the past. Oh my goodness. Um, a long time ago. That's how many podcasts we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Reigns. That's what it's reminding me of. Um, Reigns it's very like much a, like Reigns, yeah. A microscopic version of this. Mm-hmm. Speaking of rains, actually, to take a little um, segue, uh, on uh, on my uh, Twitch channel, uh, twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Pachamus1989, uh, come and uh, follow me if you wish, um, I've just finished a playthrough of Yes Your Grace, which is the team that made rains is their follow-up to that. Oh, really? Which is a more focused uh, version of... It's a, it's, a, it's a bigger version of Reigns. It's a more of a story where you play this king of a country. And again, it's all about the decisions you make. You have to keep your your treasury and your supplies level. But it's all about preparing for a battle. And you have to decide whether or not to marry off your daughters uh, to kings who may not be the nicest people. But you really need an alliance with them because their armies are super powerful. Um, yeah, it's really good. I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all on my Twitch channel if you want to watch it through. That's, uh, that's something I've started doing recently, is streaming on Twitch. Uh, I've not talked about it on the podcast yet, but it's it's good. It's a good fun time. But yeah, no, I played there. I played the follow up to Reigns. Yes, your grace. It's very good. And Reigns is like yeah, like you said, like a microcosm of what Crusader Kings is. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes it that that kind of clarifies what Crusader Kings is in my head. Yeah. I can kind of I can kind of see it now. Yeah, and that's kind of how you how you're able to get all these insane stories out of it. It sounds just hilarious how these things can spin out and at the end do you get like a basically like a progress report of what happened? Kind of, yeah. It's difficult to find cuz the UI I still find a bit of a challenge to navigate uh because there's so much you have to think about, but you can kind of go back through your family tree and sort of see the you can at least see the um the rank of your ancestors and kind of how they died um Mm. so yeah like there's a big family tree uh which you know at at one point does reveal just quite how inbred your family is like oh shit i did marry off a lot of my people a lot of my family to their cousins and shit um but yeah it's um it's just it's cool it's almost like just an alternate history uh generator you know yeah it's it's really good fun i'd recommend it to any and all with a semi-decent gaming pc it's very good um do you end up with any inbreeding issues at some point oh yeah uh, so you... like basically like you're given a warning uh like say you were to marry off your son to their cousin um like you say sure this will increase your family's power but like there's a lot there's a larger chance of of their children being inbred which uh gives up which you know gives them lots of like health issues and stuff um so yeah you gotta you gotta think about these things you know it's, it's, it's whether you want to keep the bloodline strong and therefore weaken your your uh descendants um or if you want to, you know, marry outside and gain alliances throughout the kingdom, you know, it's it's sort of like a yes. Yeah, whether you want to kind of keep your metaphorical walls up, or whether you want to kind of forge alliances throughout Europe, because the more alliances in Europe that you have, you know, it's the easier it's going to be for you to win wars and stuff. Hmm. 
Yeah. So, yeah, it's good, man. I've not played it for, like, a couple of weeks uh, because uh, Cyberpunk came out. But uh, that was kind of my, my placeholder. It kind of kept me ticking over until Cyberpunk. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, it, it was just a really, really good investment, man. It's so so good. Um, no, it, it sounds it. It sounds it. Anything that has sort of emergent story properties, I, I genuinely, mm-hmm. generally really enjoy. Do your super mutants run on MK Ultra? Is MK Ultra not doing it enough for you? I'm afraid you- it's just not doing it enough. I need, I need more, more uh, hallucinogenics. More hallucinogenics, you say? Are your super mutants not crushing enough skulls? No. Then we have the product for you, MK Optimum. Get how much for your MK Optimum today, sir? I would like to buy all of it, please. <laughs> MK Optimum plans to raise your super mutant started. Eight caps, ninety nine. Eight caps. I have six caps, fifty. <laughs> six caps, fifty ring pulls. Is that? Can I? Can can I get someone tick, please? <laughs> I think. I think Patch, we, we need to we need to reference this now. I know that our listeners probably won't get this broadcast until maybe early next mm-hmm. year, but you know, as we're recording this, it's the time of year where you know the wasteland version of Christmas is coming round. The radioactive ash is falling from the sky mm-hmm. and piling up. Me and you and Segway, Fanny Beasts, Mikey Mechanic. All of the gang were sitting around inside the vault over a little tire fire, drinking some mulled oil, and uh, it's just, it's good to remember at this time, before the event, when Christmas was just Christmas, and it was less of a pagan mutant sacrifice, when all the clans band together and find innocent humans to uh, tear apart and then wrap in old newspaper and give it to each other as presents. Before before that, we can remember when there was things like Santa Claus and Christmas trees. Do you remember trees, Patch? I remember trees. Yeah, those were the um those were the big uh, tall metal things with the with the with the light on the end that would light up in the evening. I think that's I, I, it's very foggy for me now, but I think that's right. Yeah. I just, I, I think, you know, we should, we should try and, what's, what's the, what's the don't go outside Christmas message? Um, don't go outside this Christmas. I think that's a, that's a very, very good don't go outside message. It's a 2020 themed message if ever I heard one. Um, it certainly is. Yeah. No, have a lovely Christmas, or I hope you had a lovely Christmas. Um, may the holiday feeling trickle into 2021, much like this podcast episode will. We are recording a few, maybe like a week before Christmas, uh, and I'm really busy in the lead up to that, so I probably won't get this edited until at least January. So I hope you had a nice time, and just remember, you know remember that it's not all about gifts it's not all about food it's not all about family it's not all about tv it's not all about drinking it's not all about father christmas it's not all about snow it's not all about uh charles dickens it's not all about any of that what 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 is it about 
patch. I can't remember. It's been so long since we celebrated Christmas properly. <laughs> I think it's something to do with, you know, friendship or, or eating raw meat or something. I don't mm. know. There is a big bird involved back when birds were alive. Yeah. <laughs> birds, they were a thing. Birds, those were those... Were those uh, Birds, those were the uh, the the big scaly things that lived in lakes, right? With the sharp teeth. I think so. And they, I don't know. they I would think swim around. Kind of similar to similar to gargoyles, maybe. I'm not sure. Hmm. Who remembers? You know. Well, it's funny because we have we have access to all fictional media in this vault, but we don't actually have a biology textbook. <laughs> yeah, we have any any, any fiction. You got it. Uh, but anything real forget about it pal unless you know one day we might talk about documentaries or something but uh, you know that'll be the yeah. day well um, <laughs> what did you want to continue the podcast broadcast from the post apocalypse with well Robin Cyberpunk came out and everyone's talking about it and um, oh my god I've been playing it and you yourself said that you had some things to say about it, uh, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts. So, Cyberpunk 2077 has been released after, you know, the better part of eight and a half years in development hell by CD Projekt Red, the people who made the Witcher series, which is very popular. Um, you know, developed under a state of, um, you know, a crunch, um, forced overtime, uh, there were, you know, there was scandals around them making fun of transgender people in the social media before Cyberpunk was even released, they pissed off people, They've made their workers work terrible hours uh, to get a game before Christmas time that is not finished, but I really, really like it. <laughs> it's a good old game. <laughs> Tell you what, Robin, Cyberpunk 2077 is a hot mess and I love it. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I, I, I did just see that it's, it's been retracted from the PlayStation Store. This morning, the news came out this morning that the PlayStation Store have just gone, you know what, this game isn't ready yet. <laughs> We're taking it off the PlayStation Store. Um, it made a- That's a- it made actual real, uh, you know, mainstream news. I heard about it through my fiance of all people, who, you know, doesn't doesn't interact with video game media at all. Um, so yeah, it's crazy, right? Sony. It is crazy. I can't think of a. I can't think of another time that this has happened. Like that a game a AAA has actually been retracted from from the store. And refunds have been automatically offered. Mm-hmm. I mean, there must be examples, but I can't think of yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, it happened. I mean, games get pulled from their digital stores all the time. You know, licenses run out, uh, that kind of thing. I think the Scott Pilgrim video game is very famous for having disappeared from the Xbox marketplace. Um, and then I think mm. it came back quite recently to, to thunderous, thunderous applause. Um same with like PT. Remember P- the uh, the PT uh, demo got oh, yeah. pulled from PlayStation Store because uh, Konami were like, "Ah, oh, we're not making this game anymore." Yoink! <laughs> Just took the PT away. So people were selling oh PlayStation 
fours on eBay for like a thousand dollars because it had PT installed on it. Um, wow. So yes, um, Cyberpunk. I mean, if you have it, you're still able to play it. It just means if you if you were looking to buy it um, on the PlayStation Store, it's a bit too late, pal. Um, Sony decided it's not ready. It's like the equivalent of a school rumor going around that you know one of the pupils in the school you know sells drugs on the side or whatever, and it's something that all the pupils talk about. Some of the staff do as well, and then somehow the rumor gets to the headmaster, and you know they're brought to to the headmaster, and they say, you know what, you're selling drugs on school property. Uh, get out of here and don't come back until you're better. I think that's pretty much exactly what's happened here. <laughs> is um, CD Projekt Red have been selling their wares, and everyone's been saying how terrible it is. And then you know, Headmaster Sony has said, "No, get out of school. Come back when you've learned your lesson." Um, that's that's the metaphor I kept thinking of. Was that you know now that Sony have kind of dipped their toe in and be like, "Nah, this isn't good enough." It's like, oh. This is this is seriously a bad launch, you know. Yeah. Um, has it hit? I've not actually looked at the like the reviews. Has it um, impacted their like Metacritic score or whatever? I mean, their Metacritic score was all over the place. Uh, pre-release, uh, all, all the major review sites were lavishing it with praise, saying what an accomplishment this game was, and how incredible the game was and very few of the reviews actually mentioned bugs or glitches at all um, and then the game released and of course the game is full of bugs and glitches um, which made people very unhappy and thus the review bombing began um, the great review bomb of 2020 the second great review bomb should I say of 2020 the first being of course Last of Us Part 2 um, but that's another story for a previous episode um, so yeah uh, there, I think the Metacritic scores all over the place I don't really care about Metacritic scores to be honest uh, I, I never describe myself as a proper reviewer of games I just like to kind of talk about my particular opinion on them mm. interesting how there does seem to be a smack of review outlets don't want to get blacklisted from this major label um, so they will lavish the game with praise in order to stay in their good books, and they will only talk about bugs and stuff when it's brought into the f- into the forefront. When people are like, "What about all these bugs?" I say, "Oh yeah, no, there's a few." But you know, the game's great. And to be honest, Robin, the game mm-hmm. at its core is really good. I've been really enjoying it. Um, I'm playing it on PlayStation Four, which is like apparently the worst system to play it on. Um, the really? game is optimized mainly for PC, <clears throat> where it doesn't work very well. It works apparently quite well on PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X, um, and it runs fine on PlayStation Four. It crashes probably like every hour, and um, sometimes out of what seems to be sheer embarrassment, <laughs> I was walking through a club and I noticed one of the NPCs was like. Stood in a tea. There was like a group of people in a booth having drinks and having a good time. And one of the NPCs in the booth was tea posing, facing the wall, no clipping through the bench. 
And as soon as I noticed it, the oh, game wow. froze and uh, and quit. Just like, oh, um, no, that's not there. <laughs> I was like, okay. Don't look at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the game itself, like, honestly, mate, the world of Night City is is incredible. Like, it's still huge. Like, it's such an ambitious project that I'm not surprised it's as broken as it is because it is... It's just a massive open-world city with so much to do. It feels like a living... I mean, if it worked properly, I imagine it would feel like a living, breathing city. Um, Mm -hmm. And you get the sense that that's what they're really trying to go for. And I love... Is it? Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Please go on. Um, I, I love just not paying any attention to the story of the missions and just walking around the city, just looking at... Seeing the sights... You know, it's a dystopian nightmare. Like Night City is a horrible place, and I think they've not really put, they haven't really put any, they haven't glossed over any of. You know, it's not like my closest comparison is the world of Grand Theft Auto. You know, when you go, when you play Grand Theft Auto, it's like an exaggerated version of America where everything's just a little bit worse than it, than it already is, and you can kind of see yeah. things. You know, it's like a cartoon version of America. Well, like this, like Night City is that, but tenfold. It's like, yeah, no, Night City's an awful place. The only way you'll ever escape is by dying. Um, and all anyone cares about is what you look like and how much money you have. And it's so compelling to explore this world where all that matters is your street cred. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, you know? It's 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 mental. It's just, it's it is a nightmare vision of the future. Which is just endlessly fascinating for for me anyway to explore. Um, so is it sort of um, from what I've seen about it? It seems to be uh, not a post-apocalypse, but sort of post-environmental collapse, where society's coalesced into hyper-capitalist um, sort of uh, stratified city-states. Yeah, kind it's of almost reminiscent of kind of Judge Dread. Yeah, um, I don't know the. F- that's that's kind of the vibe I got. Yeah, I don't know the full uh, world lore. Uh, the version I got with the game, it was like a pre-order version I got off Amazon, and it has like a little lore book of like the world of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven and the events building up to it. I haven't read it yet, um, but I think Night City itself, like the United States of America, still exists. But they essentially said like they have essentially disowned. Night City and it is its own city state um, because of how awful things are there and they've just kind of left it to rot um, to kind of just basically until it's like um, uh, there's a there's a film oh it's in uh, it's in James Bond one of the Bond villains is like yeah there was an infestation of rats on this island so basically I dug a pit and the more the rats fell in the more they'd smell the food of dying rats, so they'd all pile in, and eventually there was no more rat problem on my island. Um, that kind of feels like what the world has done with Night City. It's just like, yes, keep... God. I mean, they're not walled in, but they're not really encouraged to, to enter or leave the city. They're just... Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, but, but like, yeah, everyone's kind of kept pacified by this sort of, like, hyper... You know, hyper-social media culture of, you know... There's heroes in in corp, you know, making heroes out of corporations and out of celebrities and stuff. It's very a hyper um, 
you know, like a hyper version of, of our current society, I guess. So yeah, it's not post-apocalyptic, mm. post-apocalyptic at all. There's, there was a big nuclear war, but the world seems to be recovering from it. It hasn't destroyed the world. It's just um, it's just a right. mess, Robin. Um, the story itself <laughs> is like the actual story is okay. It's not too bad. The main character is like I hate the main character. Like, uh, why? Why? Um. Well, just because they're because their dialogue is awful. They're like an edgy sort of sort of it's cool dialogue if you're like a fifteen year old boy. So uh. that kind of that kind of video game dialogue where they're you're just an asshole to everyone all the time, but yeah, everybody thinks you're a hero and wants your help. And everything the main character says is just so cringy and horrible that it really made me disappointed. Disappointed in the character because you spend I spent tons of time in the character creator making this really badass looking uh, character who I thought this will be great. I'll be like this you know warrior nomad from the desert who's entered the city and I'll be able to go in and you know tear down the system from the inside and then really they're just a, they're just a dick <laughs> pretty much people fuck them over all the time and I'm like well I'm not surprised that I'm being betrayed everywhere because um, because I'm not a nice person to be and you get <laughs> dialogue choices of course uh, but they don't really seem to alter um, so far they don't really seem to alter the way your character is portrayed and if, right. So yeah, um, allegedly there's tons of different ways the game can play out, and maybe I'm just not noticing that all this is happening because of the choices I've made. But you know, maybe maybe I'm the asshole. Who knows? <laughs> maybe it's me all along, and the game is showing that. Yeah. I know the dialogue's really cringy and horrible. Um, mm. Is this all the way across the board, or is it just your character? Just seems to be V, the main character. Everyone else is, you know, it's not like. It's not the greatest writing, but it's passable, you know? It's fine. Um, mm. But yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've not, like, done a comprehensive playthrough. I've had the game for just over a week now. And I've been playing kind of in the weeknights after work and stuff when I've got, you know, a spare moment. Um, you know, when I'm not streaming on my uh, Twitch channel, Patchmas1989. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's something I've I've been dipping into every every couple of nights for a few hours, and it's been really good. Like I think I'd probably be more bothered by the bugs and the glitches and the crashes if I was sat down for like a good six hour session. But I'm only playing for a couple of hours at a time, and it really mm. t- seems to fit that time slot quite well. You know. A question I would have, maybe leading on from the dialogue chat, is. Something CD Projekt Red, um, the developer of the game, for those who wouldn't know, they seem to be quite famous for humour in games, because I'm most familiar with Witcher 3, and that was a funny game, and and the writing in that was fantastic. Um, So uh, have they changed their writers? Um, Does it still have that sort of humour into the game? It must be a different set of writers because while there are humorous moments in the game nothing's made me laugh out loud it seems to be a much more serious story than you know the witcher 3 was i mean the witcher 3 had serious moments it was quite scary at times um Hmm. 
no, no, this seems to be a very, like, taking itself very seriously kind of game. Which is probably why it's rubbing me the wrong way, because it's like, you've got this really goofy-ass cyberpunk dystopia. Um, you, sh- you, could, you should really layer on just a little bit of humour to take the edge off, maybe? Um, but I don't know. Well, I mean, th- that's, that's actually quite disappointing to hear, because if you want, like, gritty, over-the-top, serious cyberpunk action, play Deus Ex. There's a whole series yeah. of and and it's that that's the tone the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, the tone of a lot of uh, cyberpunk stories is quite serious. It seems to be quite a quite a uh, quite a serious dark genre, you know, from what I've encountered from cyberpunk uh, stories in the past, you know. Well, I suppose it kind of all spot. It, it was sort of um, typified by Blade Runner, and it saw it said that pretty serious tone yeah because it's all about oh the nature of being and reality and like cyberpunk does seem to be going down the road of like where is your soul anyway is it in your body or can you just upload it to to a computer uh and you know do you really die if your body is destroyed if your consciousness is alive inside a microchip is that it's kind of going down that road um Hmm. you know it's not really like a you know, it's not it's not fraught with laughs. Put it that way. It's not, uh, uh, but it's, it's still enjoyable. I'm gonna play. You know, I'm gonna be playing some more over the weekend. Um, there's two massive uh, patches coming out in um, January and February. Uh, so I wonder if uh, Sony will put it back on the PlayStation Store once the patches are out. Uh, but I'm looking forward to see Probably. what those do because the game is constantly being updated. I feel so bad for the developers making it because they were put into this like two and a half month final push of like you know 60 weeks um 60 weeks uh, of overtime for two and a half months and the game comes out and it's still fucked so now they're still working on it it's just like man there's like no end in sight for these people i feel i feel kind of rubbish uh, i feel it must be a pretty horrible experience working on video games sometimes you know well I mean, we. I, I would hope they take a lesson from. Oh, I can't remember his name. The the guys over at who made No Man's Sky. Oh, uh, Sean. Um, uh, Sean, Sean Seanerson, Sean, Sean the Sean Man. Um, Sean the Sean. Yeah, no, Sean. Yeah. He's Sean um, something. So they made they made all these basically promises that the game couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't deliver no. on, and they got absolutely slammed. And what they could have done is just said, oh, well, that's it. But they didn't. They actually just stuck with it, kept updating the game. And to this day, they've continued to update it. And it's, from what I understand, surpassed what it was in the original trailer by this point. You know, I've heard No Man's Sky now is really, really good. And it's a game Mm -hmm. that I'd be interested to start playing um, at some point, you know, when I'm not taking over... Uh, Europe as a medieval king or, you know, romping about Night City uh, hacking people, you know it'd be, I think it's going to be, I think No Man's Sky is definitely on my watch list now for games I want to play mm-hmm. whereas before, you had it when it first came out, didn't you? I think I remember playing it at yeah, your yeah, house yeah. and um, I wasn't that impressed with it, I was just, uh, I don't didn't really understand what all the hype was when you're just flying around a spaceship shooting rocks um but apparently there's much more to it now, so um, I'm excited to see what that is. 
Yeah. Oh, can you hear me, by the way? Am I sat too far away from the mic? No, no, no. Your volume's okay, cool. good. Cheers. I've kind of shifted back a little bit. Um, yeah, so... I guess... On you go. I guess with with um, with Cyberpunk, it is... It does just become... Oh, God, what a... What a heartless corporate decision to deliberately ship a product that they knew was unfinished before Christmas just to get that capital injection, yeah. you know, rather than just waiting the time it would take to get it out properly. But that's the game industry. That's the game industry in a nutshell, though, really, isn't it? It happens all the time. Games come out, mm-hmm. you know, usually more finished <laughs> than Cyberpunk, but they are pushed out, you know, under great, under immense pressure at the behest of shareholders who have never worked on a game in their life and all they care about is this game needs to come out before Christmas or before summer because we need we need that extra capital boost and it's like you know it's a very manipulative workplace environment where you have people who are passionate about gaming working on games and because they're passionate about them they're able to be manipulated and to be like well this is your passion why should we have to pay you overtime you should just be doing this out of the sheer love and love of your own craft and it's like that's a bit you know it's a bit shit really isn't it it's just um it's not something i the classic not something i applaud classic manipulation yeah it's not something i'm it does make me no go 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 yeah i just think it, it does make me laugh that it's uh so they've they've built this um, satire of a hyper-capitalist society that's based on individualism and social stratification and it somewhat demonizes the corporation and corporate behavior. And the environment that built this game was a product of hyper-capitalist runaway capitalism and corporate stakeholders. I, I just think that's just quite funny. Yeah, no, it's mental, isn't it? It's so like it's just the 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 blind <laughs> the blind irony of the situation is that yeah, it's it's there for all to see. Um, but yeah, it's something we've spoken about. In, we've spoken about this topic in the past. I think when we spoke about the Last of Us Part Two. Um, yeah, and I hope it's it's something that people are becoming a lot more aware of over the past couple of years, and I'm hoping it's something that that gets dealt with soon. You know whether whether it takes unionization, or whether it takes you know just games longer to come out. You know it's just a it's a problem that needs solved. Um, yeah. You know sooner rather than later, um, because I because fe- I feel bad. I feel bad buying these games because I because I I did fall in for the cyberpunk hype at pretty much the last minute, being like actually no I really do want to play this game now. I'm not gonna I'm gonna stop watching trailers and everything. I'm gonna get sit down and get it. It'll be great. Um, but I feel somewhat guilty buying into the hype and buying these big games like The Last of Us Part 2 and like Cyberpunk 2077 where so much uh, it's almost like buying it's almost it's like buying clothes knowing they've been made in a sweatshop somewhere it's like you know I like this shirt but I know that some poor young boy has probably lost a finger or two you know stitching it together uh, you know it's 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 it makes it, it makes me feel pretty guilty if i for probably you know I'd, it's, it's a weird feeling like if i'm not enjoying a game that's been 
that's had as much work put into it as, say, Cyberpunk 2077, I feel like, well, people worked really hard for this and probably haven't seen their family for months and, you know, for what? For this buggy mess of a game to come out and for people to be shouting at them for it? You know, it's just... Yeah. No, I, I totally get you. And we shouldn't be in a position where we feel bad about buying someone like someone's work uh you know the i mean at the base of the transaction you should be able to be feel good i am paying money for this uh, you know this piece of media this piece of art and the knowledge that the people who created it and conceptualized it will be compensated fairly for the work they did for their creation um and when that becomes obfuscated and abusive then it's it's not a nice buying experience. It's not a nice creation experience, mm. and it um, sort of deeply colors the whole thing. Yeah, because it's something I kind of think about I, a lot, especially when I was playing The Last of Us Part mm-hmm. Two. I think I said when I spoke about it a few episodes ago is that I felt the game went on really much too long. It's too long of a game. And I felt bad for thinking that way because it was like my criticism of the game felt harsh because I was like, I know people have literally gone to hospital for <laughs> to get this game out on time, and now I'm like, oh, your game's too fucking long. So it's like, yeah, it's just yeah, it, I don't know, man. It's just it's just it's just a messed up economy. Uh, well, not maybe economy is not the right word, but it's a, it's a messed up system. And for someone who, you know, video games are a big part of what I do. Um, it'd be nice. It'd be nice if there was a if the system was changed to a way where you don't feel guilty for, for, you know, buying buying games that were made under sweatshop conditions. You know. Yeah, and I think that's. I I think it will change for a number of reasons one it's becoming a lot more visible these these issues and the consumers becoming a lot more aware of this um which creates an environment where you know change and disruption can happen because say you're i mean look at the rise of indies for example Mm -hmm. indies are just growing and growing because so many developers go yeah i don't want to work for a huge publisher when I'm not going to be compensated fairly for my work. I'm going to be forgotten and abused, and it's not going to be very nice. Or you could take the Spelunky 2 Derek Yu um, strategy of, yeah, I'm going to pretty much do this mostly on my own with a couple of others, um, and I get to put my full creative stamp on it, work my own schedule, it's totally fine. That's not to say that the guy doesn't work insane hours and put himself under crunch, but it's different when you're doing it to yourself it is yeah i watched a very interesting video about crunch uh crunch crunch <laughs> what's a very interesting the grinch <laughs> I, watched, I watched the grinch the other day um and that's a guy who knows how to work <laughs> hard uh stealing <laughs> christmas over the course of one evening no um i watched a very interesting video about crunch where the get where the main point was like people who are passionate about their art form will crunch regardless and that's still not a great thing because they are putting themselves doing themselves harm by putting themselves under this pressure to to get something finished because they want to see it completed because they're passionate about it. 
Um, and I think that's where um, uh, Sean Sean Shonerson of Hello Games kind of that's how he end, he ended up with um, No Man's Sky. You know, he really crunched his way through it and got the game out on time, and people weren't happy about it. But you know, he he put, he did that to himself. Same with uh, Sakurai, the guy who makes Super Smash Brothers. I don't believe there's a massive crunch culture at Nintendo. I could be wrong. Call me out if I'm wrong on that. Um, but uh, he basically... There were stories of Sakurai wandering around the Nintendo offices with a IV drip for the last couple weeks of of uh, Super Smash Brothers development because he was like, <laughs> I need this game to be finished. I It's my young child and I want this game done. And he would be sleeping under his desk every night and yeah, basically getting nutrients from a drip just to finish his game. It's it's, it's mental. Jesus Christ. People do put themselves under an immense amount of pressure to finish the things they love. And it is awful that larger corporations do take advantage of that fact. As a side note, that is... God, God that's that's hitting me right in the soul right now. <laughs> <laughs> Given the way I'm feeling and I've been working this I know, this you've year. been working real hard this year, man. you got to... Yeah. God damn it. But, um... Um, yeah, at least you're not. At least you're not anyway. on a drip. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I don't actually think Nintendo does have a bad crunch culture, which is funny because they are obviously they're a Japanese yeah. company, so you'd expect them to be terrible. But they actually, I don't know. Whenever I hear stuff about Nintendo, I always just seem to be impressed about their approach mm-hmm. to things. Um, was it Shigeru Miyamoto, the the top chap who who died? Uh, no, uh, Satoru Iwata uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Um, Satoru Satoru Iwata. Um, I remember when the Wii was released and it didn't make enough money. My, the the Wii, the original Wii, was actually a, a failure, as I remember. Well, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, it was the first time Nintendo had recorded a a net loss in their at that time in their seventy year history. Yeah. Um, and the president at the time um, said, "Right, I, I'm not paying my staff any less money, but I'll take half my like." He just cut his wages in half or something mental. Yeah, he like refused that. his annual bonus or something like that. Something heroic. Yeah, it was like that is that is what more CEOs need to do, you know? Yeah, it's not like the um, the head of Activision is constantly cutting hundreds of jobs and then giving himself and his you know board members like massive pay rises you know after cutting tons of jobs every single year and it's absolutely horrible um so yeah it's a, it's a messed up industry man yeah but you know hopefully nintendo oh man if it comes out that nintendo are just the worst i'm gonna be really upset. i know i know <laughs> let's save that for 2021 <laughs> so yeah we've deviated yeah. quite a lot from cyberpunk but i think for good reason i think that's this a topic i've kind of wanted to cover for a little while is is um working practices in the game industry yeah we've touched on it a number of times but it is it is just tragic and it, it does color your experiences with it oh yeah um which it's not the way you should feel no, it's not, Robin. No, it's not. It's not the. It's not the way any. It's not. I'm sure it's not the way anyone would like to feel. Like, imagine if this is the way films are made. <laughs> you know, every time a, every every time a, you know, a, a new Avengers movie came out, it comes out, you know, 
three months sooner than it should because I mean maybe it does happen in films probably does it probably happens fucking everywhere but but video games are getting the spotlight um yeah I don't know I'm kind of (laughs) running out of steam on crunch I can't really crunch the last 10 minutes of this conversation (laughs) you need to just crunch to get it through um yeah man but I Cyberpunk 77 I think it will be good eventually I think it's going to be very much a No Man's Sky situation because there, there is DLC mm-hmm. planned for it but the base game needs to be fixed first um, I'm looking forward to see yeah. how it progresses and I really hope CD Projekt Red do take note of this uh, the drama that has been Cyberpunk 2077 because, yeah, the guy in charge has been tweeting all the time, being like, every time something comes out, like a scandal, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, we'll do better. Oh, I'm sorry, we'll... He keeps saying they'll do better, but then they never do, so it's like, I really hope, you know, he keeps to his word, uh, you know, for whatever project they've got coming out next. It would be nice to see a big player in the industry, you know, take charge, other than other than Nintendo, you know, take charge and be like, no, nah, we're going to do this the right way. So, uh, yeah. So, Robin, would you go outside for uh, the games industry as a whole? <laughs> would you go outside for video games, one and all? Um, uh, I mean, I would, obviously, because they bring me so mm-hmm. much joy. Even even though, uh, as we, uh, we've talked about briefly, that I, I, over the past few years, have moved from being a player of games to being a, a spectator yeah. of games like I, I'm, a, I'm a games fan mm-hmm. big time and I, I keep up to date with the media I talk about them and I watch a lot of Twitch streams but I just I don't know I, I find it harder to play them now for for whatever reason whatever's changed in yeah. my brain um, probably just uh, gratuitous exhaustion mm-hmm. constant constant exhaustion Um but so, given that, and given the amount of uh, of joy they bring, yes, I would go outside. But before I brought it back to the vault, I'd be giving it a stern talking to. Me too. I. <sighs> yeah, no. I mean, I would go outside for the games industry, but I would be the same. I'd be saying, "Listen, you need to change up your act." It's like uh, it's like the last act of a of a rom com. Where you know the the guy is like, I'm a changed man. I swear, <laughs> I've learned my lesson. It would have to be that. You know, the games industry would have to knock on my door in the pouring rain and give a long monologue <laughs> about how much they've changed and how much uh, how much uh, how much we as as games uh, consumers mean to them. You know, you're not yeah. just a bottom line anymore. You're my whole bread and butter. You know. Um, so yeah, I think that would be that would be so that'd be something I'd be keen to see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. I, my serious question would be: um, Would you go outside for Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven? Like, how is your interest in it swayed at all? I'm actually, uh, I'm still fascinated in it. Um, I've still been keeping up to date with it and talking about it and watching some streams of it. But I have to say, no. Yeah. I think the the way CD Projekt Red have conducted themselves and releasing what is essentially a non-functional... It's a car without missing a wheel, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not like 
it's not like silly bugs that can be fixed out. It's serious game-breaking bugs that it means it's just not it's not a finished product, and you shouldn't be taking people's money for that. Yeah. Of um, so no, I, I won't be going outside for Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Um, uh, you know, but I'll uh, um wait until it's uh, it's looking good again, and then I'll reassess. Very fair, fair assessment. Um, I myself. Um, I mean, I, I already am uh, outside for Cyberpunk 2077, but I wouldn't recommend <laughs> anyone else do it. Um, you know, I would say wait until Cyberpunk is about maybe six months down the line, and then, uh, like, very, I very much agree with your position, to be honest. I, I am really, I'm still enjoying the game, uh, so I mean, I guess I would go outside for it, but I wouldn't recommend anyone else do it just uh, just hold fire there's other games out it's been a really good year for games to be honest um mm-hmm. yeah get yourself on the last of us part two a game that is finished um and you know play that instead <laughs> um or or crusader or crusader kings, kings plenty, plenty 3 stuff out there. play crusader kings 3 definitely um i would say and uh, you know, just hang out, just chill for six months. There's other games coming out. I think I don't know if video games are kind of finished for a year, but we'll see. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um. Aye. So anyway, that was uh, that was a pretty decent episode. That was a good long chat about some serious stuff. I think we we handled it quite well. I think so too. Just patting myself um... on the back there, live on air. <sighs> just don't worry about it. Yeah. That's that's a live backpack. <laughs> back backpack. Back, back, what? <laughs> backpack. Backpack. Um. Well, let's let's uh let's cap off the last podcast of 2020. Ooh. It's been what a hell of a year. year. It's been. Um. Thank you, everyone who's listened to us this year, and thank you to all of our listeners, and thank you, Patch, for continuing. To make these podcasts. Well, thanks very much for joining me and recording them, Robin. I do enjoy it very much. So, and um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening uh, to the 2020 season of uh, Don't Go Outside. We'll be back in 2021. We might already be back if you're listening to this in January. Then uh, welcome to the world of tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you know, let's 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 hope it's. Um, Let's hope it's better than 2020. Um, you know, everyone's saying that. But, uh, you know, things can only get better, as Tony Blair used to say when he was going to be Prime Minister. Oh that God. was his song. Forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, Tony B. Liar. Let's not delve let's into not. Tony Blair, you know, late 90s politics. Late 90s British politics yeah. on our fictional <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, um, well as always guys uh, don't go outside or else you might be captured in the crunch and forced to produce something which is not finished you'll be underpaid undervalued and shorten your life all to receive abuse on twitter from trolls yeah Keanu Reeves is stomping about he's not happy He's he he spent two years promoting a game that everyone hates, and he is uh, he's very upset about that. Poor old Keanu Reeves, um, come into the vault. And, and no one wants to upset Keanu. Nah, Reeves. I hate that. It's like it's like kicking a dog. <laughs> it's just, 
Yeah, yeah per Keanu Reeves. Podcast title there, per Keanu Reeves. Don't Go Outside is your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse, brought to you by Patch and Robin. If you enjoyed this episode of Don't Go Outside, why don't give us a follow on Spotify or subscribe to us on iTunes, and you'll be updated whenever a new episode is released. You can also find episode updates and other fun news on our Instagram feed at dgo underscore podcast.